Today, I know the excitement is thick in the air because many of you know what today represents. It represents the start of a new four-week series on biblical financial principles. Woo! Yes! Yeah. I appreciate that response. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, I'm hopeful that each person here, especially if you consider VCC your church home, that you're going to be really receptive during this series. Uh, you're going to be willing to apply uh, the principles that we're going to talk about in these four weeks together. And I hope this for two primary reasons. The first is that how we handle our finances, how we handle our money, it matters to God. And it is a legitimate concern of Christian discipleship and Christian stewardship. The second reason that I hope we'll all receive and apply the principles we cover in this series is because if we do so, it is very likely that our own financial situations will improve. And some of you probably got it all worked out, but many of us need our situations to improve. And so I think this series will, will help this happen. And so these principles really just make good financial sense. And even though they're biblical principles, most of the things we're going to talk about, any competent financial advisor uh, would commend these things. So we're going to talk about things like living below our means, we're going to talk about things like avoiding debt. We're going to talk about things such as investing for the future. And if we put these principles to work in our lives, they're going to make a huge difference in our own financial situations. They actually hold the potential to completely change our financial outlook and take us from a place where our finances might be an area of struggle in our lives to a place where we have more money than bills each month. And wouldn't that be a great outcome? Living in that place where you have more money than bills, and I know many of you here today uh, do live in that place, but probably some do not. But when you get to that way of living, it is a truly life-changing thing. It, it really is life-changing. And so I want you to understand that the point of this series isn't preached with the motivation of increasing giving to the church. Uh, that is often what is suspected whenever giving is talked about. Now, I will be honest enough with you to tell you that if you apply what we cover in this series to your life, it will absolutely result in increased giving to the church. I will tell you that is a good thing. I will tell you, as opposed to much of our history, that is a somewhat needed thing, and I make no apology for that, because that is as it should be. But it is not the motivation for the series. The series is preached with each of our best interests in mind, because Christians have a responsibility to submit to the Lordship of Christ in all areas of our lives, and we're better off when we do that. Life is the way it's supposed to be. The more submitted we are to Jesus, 
And then the beautiful thing is, as I've already mentioned, when we do submit to Christ in our finances, it is often true, it is generally true, that our financial picture will improve. Now, if you're visiting with us for the first time, or maybe this is you know, the second or third time that you've been with us, I want to acknowledge that I do understand it can be somewhat disappointing or worse than disappointing for a first-time visitor or a second or third-time visitor to show up and be confronted with a message about money. And so I am, am sorry that it worked out that way uh, for you. The, the unfortunate reality is that some churches have focused so much on the topic of money, and some Christian leaders have misrepresented what the Bible says about money, to the point that it's understandable that many people get very on edge when the topic of money is addressed uh, in, the, in the church. And so, you know, you'll have to take my word for it, but if you're newer, I think people here, if you ask them, will, will confirm what I'm telling you. Uh, you. You just have to understand that we do not spend too much time on this topic here at Vineyard Pataskal. I think the last time that I devoted a message or a series entirely to money was at least three years ago, maybe a little bit longer. And so this is not a subject that we spend an inordinate amount of time on here at the Vineyard. It's, it's just not. And, and it really is true that the reason for this series uh, is, is for the purpose that we would come to handle uh, our money in a way that is pleasing to God. The reason that I want to talk about this is because it is a legitimate issue of Christian discipleship. And, and, and I also want to talk about it because I know some of us need help in the area of our money. And the things we learn in the Bible can actually help us if we follow them. So this is the motivation for the series. Christian stewardship is the term that we use to describe how we use our resources in light of our relationship with Christ, in light of our identity as Christians. Christian stewardship is often associated with money. But properly understood, Christian stewardship affects every area of our lives. It's not just about money. Christian stewardship is about how we use our time. Christian stewardship is about how we use our talents, our abilities, as people who belong to Jesus, we have a responsibility to use our time and our talent in a way that is pleasing to God. And so Christian stewardship is not just about money. It is about every area of our lives, but it is also about money. This is an inescapable conclusion one reaches when you read the Bible with an open mind. The Bible says a great deal about money. Jesus said a great deal about money. While it wasn't always the main point, I think money is in focus in 11 out of the 38 or 39 or 40, it's debatable how many there are, parables that you find in the New Testament. So 25% or so of the parables in some way touch on the subject of money. Jesus identified money as a rival God that vies for our affections. 
And he warned us very clearly that we cannot serve both him and money. And so money is an important aspect of Christian discipleship. It's an important part of Christian stewardship. God cares about our money and God cares how we use our money. The Bible goes so far as to present money as a test of our commitment to God. And so Christian stewardship is about more than money, but it is about money. It is about our resources. And so today, as we have for the past couple of weeks, we are turning to the Proverbs for our text as we launch the series. So today we're looking at Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. They should be on the screen behind me, and here's what they say. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. I would submit that Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 provides the biblical foundation the, the, the foundation of biblical financial stewardship. And properly understood, it holds the key to all the remaining principles that we will address. It holds the key to viewing money in its proper context. It holds the key to, to handling money properly. It holds the key to remaining free from all of the negative things that happen in our lives when we are more in love with money than we are in love with God. For a Christian, there is no other place that we could start this series than with this first principle. The first and most important biblical financial principle is the very first line of Proverbs 3.9, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Simple. Straightforward, crystal clear, those who name the God of the Bible as their God are to honor him with their wealth. A couple points about this. First of all, most of us do not consider ourselves wealthy. And so when we read a verse like this, we are tempted to conclude, well, I don't have any wealth. So this does not apply to me. That is incorrect. That is incorrect. Wealth should simply be understood as resources. We are to honor God in the area of our material resources, which in the economic system we all live in, is money. Money. Secondly, while verse 9 does commend honoring God, the second part of verse 9 commends honoring God with a portion of our wealth. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But this first part of verse 9 is very general. It is more broad than the portion that the second part of the verse addresses. The proverb begins with the broadest possible application, just honor the Lord with your wealth. And here's what this means. It means that God is not just concerned about the portion that the second part of verse 9 addresses. God is concerned with what we do with everything we have. 
God is concerned with how we use every dollar that we get. All of our wealth, all of our resources, and how we use those resources is of concern to God. He wants to be honored in how we use every single dollar. And here's why. And this is very clear throughout the Bible. God is concerned about all our resources because it's all his. It's all his. What we call our resources, what the Bible itself refers to as your wealth, it's actually all God's. It all belongs to him. God said in the 50th Psalm, every animal in the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine. The world is mine. And all that is in it. It all belongs to God. What we call ours is actually his. And so God wants us to honor him with all of our wealth, not just a portion of our wealth. And here's what this means. This means that Christian stewardship isn't just a matter of putting some money in the offering basket and then concluding that since we've done that, everything else is just a free-for-all for us to do whatever we want to do with it. Where are those amens? Amen. Christian stewardship is submitting how we use all of our resources to God. I've heard pastors say for years, and I think I've probably even said this myself, that God asked for you to give, and then it's whatever portion that particular church views as appropriate. So in most churches, that's a tithe. So God asks you to give 10% of your income. And then the rest is yours to do with as you see fit. Isn't that a great deal? Pastors say, and I've probably said. But it's actually not true. God cares about what we do with all of it. Because it's all his. We are not owners of anything that we have. We are what the Bible calls stewards. We don't own anything. We manage the resources that belong to God. That is our view as Christians about our time. That is our view about our abilities, our talents. And that is to be our view about money. We manage God's assets. They're not ours. They're His. And as such, we have what they call in the financial world a fiduciary responsibility to use God's stuff the way He wants it used. All of it. All of it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this has some real implications for us. 
it means that probably most of us, and I include myself in most of us, probably means that most of us need to be more thoughtful about how we use all of our money than what many of us are. Now, I want to be clear that I do not believe God is against having nice stuff. I really don't. I don't think God is against nice cars. I don't think God is against nice homes. I think God is pro-family vacations. I sure hope he's pro-eating out. And, and I think he's okay with some entertainment. God is definitely not against saving for the future. We're going to see that in this series. But the reality is that with everything we have belonging to God, that means everything has to be submitted to Him. And this probably means that some of what we do with our money might not actually be okay with God. And that we need to consider that. Now, the lines are different for different people, so I'm not here to draw any lines today, but I'll just throw out a few things. There probably are houses that are too expensive for a Christian to buy, even if they can afford it. I can't draw the line as to what it is for you. There's probably a house that's too expensive, even if you can afford it. You guys have not heard me say things like that very often, but it's, it's, I think it's true because it's not the best use of God's resources. There are probably vacations that are too elaborate for Christians to take, even if they can afford them, because it's not the best use of God's stuff. There are probably cars that are too expensive to own, even if we have the money for them. Because it's not the best use of God's stuff. And again, I'm not here to draw lines. I, I don't know where. I would have no way to know where to draw the line for you in your circumstances, with your resources, and with, you know, you needing to be sensitive to God on your own on these questions. I, I couldn't do that for you. But honor the Lord with your wealth means that God gets considered in how we use everything. How we spend everything, not just whatever portion we set aside for God, because again, we are simply stewards, managers of what belongs to him. Then we come to the second part of verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. This is an affirmation of the practice of giving to God the first and best portion of the harvest. And I know there is always some wise guy, and I'm positive there would be a wise guy somewhere in here who is saying right now, as soon as I start growing me some crops, I'll start giving the first fruits to the work of the Lord. Crops, again, are resources. Crops are wealth. It's representative of whatever our resources are. So nice try, wise guy. <laughs> All right. I wasn't sure I wanted to use that line, but I went for it. And I appreciate those courtesy laughs. 
The first fruits were a portion of the harvest, the first portion, but not the entire harvest. It was a portion. So the understanding that we find here in Proverbs is it all belongs to God, but then the proverb commends returning a portion of the harvest to the Lord. So we have to use it all in a way that pleases him, but there's a portion that actually gets returned. In the practice that's been embraced by many Christians throughout church church history, this portion that is given to God has often been considered a tithe or 10% of one's income. Now, Christians have various views on the practice of tithing, but it has been pretty widely practiced, a pretty widely practiced method of returning a portion of our resources to God and his work in the world. Now, we're going to talk about what the portion might ought to look like here in a few minutes, but for now, see what we have already learned from the text. All of our wealth belongs to God. It all has to be used in accordance to his will and purposes, and then some portion of our wealth, some portion of our resources should be given directly to the work and purposes of God in the world. And what's given, according to this proverb, should be, again, this word, first fruits. The first and the best that we have. And here's the significance of that. Here's what was, uh, here's what was given. Um, what, what was given, I'm sorry, was to be the very first, not like what was left over. That, that's the point. It was supposed to be the first, not the leftovers. Giving the first fruits indicates that God is our first priority. Now, for us today, it is very difficult to practically uh, give the first portion of what we earn to the Lord. Our taxes get deducted from our, from our checks. Uh, other automatic deductions come out of our paychecks. And so the important application here isn't whether or not what we give to the Lord is literally the first of what we've earned. The important principle here is that God is our first priority. In every way, in every area of life, but including this area of our financial resources. God wants to be our first financial priority. Why? Because it's his. It's his. And here's the truth. Here are the cold hard facts, or the cord hall facts, as I almost said. <laughs> the cold hard facts. Most Christians don't live this way. About 20% of them do. 80% don't really live this way. I haven't always lived this way, but I say this because it's true. God wants to be your very first financial priority because everything we have, everything you have is his and we have and you have a responsibility to use his stuff the way he wants it used. This is true in every area of our life, in every area of discipleship and stewardship. It's true of our time, it's true of our talents, it is true of our money. God is displeased when he gets our leftovers. 
He wants to be first, and he deserves to be first. But most Christians only consider God with their money after everything else has been taken care of. After the house is paid, the cars are paid, the vacation is paid, the cell phones are paid, the new clothes are bought, the furniture is updated, the walls are painted again, the dog has a proper number of toys, the cat has a cool little house. <laughs> then we'll consider what we have left over. God gets our leftovers because we did not make him a priority, much less first priority. And so what many of us do is everything we want to do. We expend all of our financial resources and then we stand there empty-handed before God and essentially what we say is, sorry God, things are really tough right now. And God has to think every once in a while, that cat has a really cool place to live. <laughs> How tough is it really? You dropped $700 on a cat house. God is displeased when he gets our leftovers. He wants to be the first priority of every part of our lives including our finances. So Christian financial stewardship is honoring God with all of our resources. It's setting aside a portion of our resources to give to the work of God in the world. It is making God our first financial priority because we recognize that everything that we have is his and we recognize that we have a responsibility as managers of God's stuff to use it the way he wants it used. And then we get to verse 10. And verse 10 tells us of the blessing that comes when we honor the Lord with our wealth, the first fruits of all of our resources. Here's what it says. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new non-alcoholic wine. <laughs> all right, it doesn't say that. It just says new wine. All right. Honoring God with your resources, honoring God first, results in blessings. In blessings. Now, if you've been around here any length of time, you know quite well that we reject here at Vineyard Church what has been called the prosperity gospel. It is prevalent in many parts of the Christian church. It is very prevalent among TV preachers. And again, we reject the prosperity gospel here at the vineyard. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. There are blessings that come from honoring God with our resources. There just are. The blessings may not always be financial, but when we honor God with our finances, often the blessings are financial. And it's important here to keep in mind what the Proverbs are. They are biblical wisdom. They are godly wisdom about what will generally be true in life. They are not promises. Amen. 
The Proverbs are not promises. So verse 10 is not a promise that if we honor God with our resources, we'll receive financial blessing. But it is godly wisdom that that will generally be true. That is generally what will happen. Generally speaking, if you honor God with your money, your money situation is going to end up better than if you did not honor God. In part, this is because honoring God with our resources cultivates proper views about money, which results in proper actions with our money, results in handling money better, so that now we end up in a better financial situation. Honoring God with our wealth, putting God first, puts money in its proper perspective. We learn to love God, not money. We learn to serve God, not money. We come to guard our hearts against the love of money and the stuff that money can buy because we love God. And keeping money in its proper perspective helps prevent us from becoming slaves to money. It helps us use money more modestly. It helps us to be more cautious in how we use money. Keeping money in its proper perspective helps us to use it in ways that end up to our benefit. Honoring God first, giving a portion of our income to God, it also does something else that is very important. It helps us to develop invaluable financial discipline. Here's what has to happen to have financial health, I'm told. That was a joke. <laughs> we have to get to the place. That was a bad time to make a joke. Anyway, here we go. We have to get to the place where we're telling our money where to go. We're telling our money what to do. Instead of allowing our money to just go wherever, because we weren't disciplined enough to tell it where to go. When we make God our first financial priority, and we make giving a portion of our income to the work of the Lord our first and highest financial priority, it is not only the right thing to do in order to honor God, but it brings with it the, the, the benefit of developing financial discipline that impacts our entire approach to money. It cultivates this ability to tell your money where to go that will absolutely revolutionize a person's financial situation. So whether we end up calling it God's that God is blessing us financially or whether what we call the blessing is simply a matter of the outgrowth, the consequences of financial discipline. Either way, you want to look at that. Honoring God with our money results in good things happening in our finances. It is not embracing the prosperity gospel to believe that. It's affirming the Bible to believe that. There are financial benefits, there are financial blessings when we put God first in the area of our money. So we do it 
because it's right and he deserves it. He owns everything we have. But we also do it because it benefits us. There is a benefit to doing this. So we're reaching a conclusion here, but I thought that some of what I've shared today might create some questions about how much we should be giving to God, what the portion should be that we actually give to God. It's all His. We have to use it all, understanding it belongs to Him. But how much should that portion be that we directly give to the work of the Lord? And the truth is that many Christians do not give anything. Which is true. Many Christians don't give anything. In most churches, the stat is about 20% of Christians don't give anything. Somewhere between 10 and 20 will give a tithe. And then everybody in the middle gives something less than a tithe, but more than nothing. That's, that's usually how it works out in most churches. As strong as our church's financial um, position has been over the years, that has largely held true in our church as well. And so this is kind of just the truth, uh, that a lot of Christians aren't giving anything or aren't giving very much. Some aren't setting aside any portion of their financial resources for the work of the Lord. And again, this isn't about anything other than discipleship and stewardship, but I feel like I have to say this, and I, I say it lovingly and respectfully, but if you're in that group that's not giving anything or you're giving really close to nothing, I have to tell you, this simply is not acceptable for a Christian. And so here's the starting point. If that's, if that's the boat that you're in right now, I don't want you to feel under condemnation about it, but I want you to do something about it. And so here's the starting point. Give something. Give something to the work of the Lord. Commit to something. Determine some portion and start immediately giving that to the work of the Lord. Make a firm commitment without delay and get started with something. Here's what I'm confident you'll see if you do that. You will see that you can give that portion to the Lord and you're going to be just fine with the rest of your bills. That's what you're going to see. Honestly, I believe that if you go straight to a tithe, you'll still see that. But we're a kind and gentle church. <laughs> so if you can't get there just yet, commit to something. Okay? So that's the first level. Set aside some portion. And then after you've done that, and you see that you're okay, take the next step. And commit to giving something substantial. Give something substantial. Now that is actually the baseline commitment that members of ECC make. To give regularly and substantially. And so commit to progressing from giving something to giving something substantial. Now that will be different for each of us. I can't really define what substantial means for you and your circumstances. But substantial does mean something. Like it has a meaning. And here's the meaning of substantial. Of considerable importance, size, or worth. 
that's substantial. Are we having fun today? Everybody good? We having fun? Everything that's good for us doesn't make a shout hallelujah. Sometimes we just got to talk about real stuff. And, uh, and this is important. So commit to something uh, substantial with what that word really means. And then once you've progressed from giving something to giving something substantial, the next level of commitment, which I think Christians should practice, but we don't present as a requirement for membership here, but I, I think Christians should do it, is tithing. Giving 10% of our income to the work of the Lord. Now, we don't approach tithing in a legalistic way here, and that's evidenced by the fact that we don't even require it for membership. But we, at least to the extent that I represent we, see it as a biblical principle that is good for Christians to practice. Amen. It's not a legalistic thing, but it is a principle that's good for Christians to practice. I'm not going to say a lot about this, uh, but some Christians are not convinced of tithing. I would agree I'm not convinced of it either in terms of a legalistic requirement. But I personally am persuaded that it's a biblical principle that Christians do well to practice. And so I would encourage you, once you have moved from giving something to giving something substantial, that you consider taking the next step and giving a tithe. And then after that... Your minds are about to be blown. <laughs> After that, the next level of commitment, which very few people get to, but which I think is pleasing to the Lord, is when we, whether we call it a tithe or whether we just call it giving, when we get to the place where we're giving 10% plus to the work of the Lord. I think this should be a goal that believers have. Now, depending on circumstances and setbacks in life and all kinds of things that nobody can, can know about, but you, maybe you don't get there. But I do think it's a, a commendable goal for Christians to have. I want to kind of wrap this up by telling you about a fascinating dialogue that I had with one of our newest members recently. And I found this to be a really encouraging uh, interaction. The person initiated a dialogue with me about giving and tithing. Now, you need to understand that this person did not grow up in the church. And so they did not grow up being kind of, you know, having this kind of stuff drilled into them. They really had never heard anything about it. And other than a quick reference that I made earlier in the year related to the finances of the church, this person had really never heard anything about giving or tithing spoken of to any significant degree since coming and being a part of Vineyard Christian Church. But here's what this person has been doing. They have been seriously studying the Bible. And so they emailed me to say that as they had studied the scriptures more, they had come to the place where they were ready to make the commitment to start honoring God with their finances. And it at least seemed to me, they didn't necessarily say it exactly this way, but what they said seemed to be indicating to me that the commitment they were making was actually to tithing. 
which I thought, well, this is awesome. Like, that's not even what we require. And they're going to make a commitment to tithing. This is incredible. I was so pleased to hear this for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons I was pleased is because I love seeing God become more important to people than money is. That's a, that's a huge step in someone's life. So I was all excited. And then a day or two later, I received a second email. And here's what it said. Hey, I'm paraphrasing, but this is really close. Hey, I've been doing a lot more studying on that tithing thing from a variety of different Christian sources. And I have to say, I don't think I'm really convinced anymore. <laughs> Darn it. Testimony ruined. That wasn't what I wanted to hear. But I read further. And it got really good. What I read was so interesting. And, and such an honest response, I think, to, to what you'll come to if you read the Bible with an open mind on this area of money. So here's what the person went on to explain to me. That they weren't persuaded about tithing as any type of a legal obligation. Oh, well that matches what I say all the time. But after they had studied about money and giving and tithing from the Bible itself from, from a whole uh, list of sources they had checked out, they had come to the conclusion that whatever you call it, giving, tithing, the real issue is knowing that it belongs to God, being generous with your money, and then they said that from what they saw in Scripture, they had concluded that even though they didn't think tithing was a legal requirement, that giving 10% of our financial resources to the work of the Lord should probably be the starting point. And we should probably give more than that. This email that started so tragically ended really well because that's exactly what I believe about giving, tithing, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's what we should take from what the Bible says about it. The right attitude isn't, what is the least I can do? The right attitude is because it all belongs to God anyway. This isn't what I have to do. I want to do this. I want to honor God. I want to make God first priority in my finances. I want to be generous in the portion of my resources that I give to the Lord. This is the right attitude because it all does belong to God and we are simply stewarding, managing what is his. So Christian, I appeal to all of us today. Let's honor God with our wealth. Let's make God our first financial priority. Let's make sure that we give a portion of our resources to God and let's remember that we do this because it's all his. It's a part of Christian discipleship and Christian stewardship. And we do this because it results in blessings for us. It really, really does. Many of you here today do put God first in the area of your finances. Some of us have not been doing that. 
And if you're in the group that has not been doing that, again, I don't want you to feel condemned. Uh, I don't want you to feel attacked. I don't want you to do any of that. But what I do want you to do today is see the truth and make a commitment to begin to honor God. It is the first and most important biblical financial principle. When we embrace this principle, all of the other principles that we consider in this series are much easier. They become much easier for us to put them into practice. And all of them work together, usually, in a way that's going to improve our financial health. We embrace this uh, first and most important biblical financial principle, God is pleased and we are blessed. They call that a win-win. Let's, let's stand.